0: Hey, it's Nikki, and today we're throwing back with another new show host that has been an episode guest before on Gut Plus Science, but will be new and bringing a new show to the People Forward Network, and that's Amy Woodall, my dear friend and fireball Amy Woodall. She did a show back on episode 18. That was like way more than 100 episodes ago on debunking common training myths. If you've ever witnessed Amy's training style, it is... I just so epically different than anything that you typically experience. She engages people, makes them laugh, fires them up. It's incredible. And the truth you can act on, I can remember about how passionate she was around leaders being involved in the process. And so this is a really good one for all of us to get a reminder on as we start to plan some new training initiatives. And you're going to have so much more from Amy coming up on the People Forward Network. She's launching her new show, The Conscious Habit Podcast. For now, we'll do a throwback. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. We get to go behind the scenes with some incredible leaders, incredible brands, and to understand their mindset and focus around leading employees to new heights of engagement. You know, there's no question that engaged workforces prove higher performance and that disengaged workers yield less productivity. We can spend all the money in the world on performance and productivity training, but if we are bringing these fantastic programs to disengaged workers, it won't matter. It's just a waste. So, guess what population needs the most attention around employee engagement and performance, your most tenured people. Hmm. seasoned employees are a great risk to the business because they're losing productivity, often because they become moderately engaged and complacent in their efforts, but we overlook them because we assume everything's okay. So suggestion, getting accurate data on all different employee populations is so key and don't make assumptions because this is something I think that probably shocked a lot of us. Today, we're going to be talking with a performance guru, teaching alongside executives across the country. She brings a refreshing mindset shift to her clients, and she's going to do that to us today, about sharing more about performance and the way that we think about it. So Amy Woodall, Executive Vice President of Sandler Training Trust Point, will share many common myths around performance and ideas to drive optimal performance across all of our teams. Hey Amy, welcome to the show. So you know Gut Plus Science is all about helping leaders move the needle on employee engagement and today we're going to focus on performance because that's your jam and I know you're really excited to dispel some myths around employee performance because there I guess are a lot of them. So let's just go ahead and dive right in. Let's level set on employee engagement versus performance. Like how do you define the two? What is employee engagement to you and what is performance and then how do they relate?
1: So from my perspective, when we're looking at employee engagement, one of the things that I'm paying attention to when we're invited to work with companies is what is the ownership mindset that these employees have? When people are really highly engaged, they cannot wait to take the information that we give them and run with it. They can't wait to go out and execute new sales tactics or new customer service tactics or put into place some of the new leadership things that they're learning You know, and on the other hand, when we see people are not nearly as engaged, it takes a while for this stuff to take hold. The ROI, while it ends up being there, it definitely has a longer life cycle.
0: What does an engaged team look like that shows up and ready to go to adopt the development and the training that you're about to give them?
1: You know, an engaged team has a tendency to look beyond potential hurdles. They just see them as challenges rather than problems. And listening to how that's placed is really important. I mean, people are telling you things for a reason. So when we work with folks, I'll give you an example. There's a great group I'm working with out of uh, Wisconsin, um, a great company. They're spread all across the U.S. And I did some training with them through Zoom video training and five to 10 minutes Nikki, after we got done with this training, I was automatically getting emails from people said, Oh my gosh, I just tried this with a customer or, you know, I just put this into place and it totally works. When people are highly engaged, they're looking for opportunities to use it. And they're looking for, you know, chances to practice and to role play. And they're more engaged in the training too, you know, and giving you some ideas of where they can utilize that, where if the, again, if they're disengaged, the difference is we're seeing people say, yeah, but that won't work because yes but we can't do that because and when people tell you we can't it's not going to work that's because that's the culture that they're used to and they're used to looking at hurdles rather than seeing them as temporary challenges and thinking no that's easy you know we, we can easily climb over top of that.
0: And Amy, I'm going to guess that you would agree that no amount of money or time or energy poured into disengaged people is going to drive performance. You've got to fix the engagement challenges first. And a lot of times that starts with the leadership team. So what do you do? Like when you are 10 minutes in and you're seeing that this is, this is going to be a big challenge around disengagement of this team in order to see the success of what you and your team are able to bring to them, like, what do you do? How do you approach that?
1: So, I mean, obviously, there's tough conversations to be had with leadership. We do have a rule, essentially, that says, if you want us to train your people, leadership has to be involved, too. Sometimes there there is some magic with not having leadership in the room right away because people feel more comfortable to open up. And if people are willing to open up when leaders are not there and then they're quiet when leaders are in the the room, we know that there is a trust challenge. And that's the first thing that we then have to work on. We kind of have to take a few steps back and say, okay, we can continue to train your people, but we're going to have to put the executives or the leaders through some trust training and really teach them how to develop a culture of authenticity with some of these folks. And the other piece of it is we, we are also looking to coach train uh, folks on how to take an ownership mentality. You know, sometimes we are, we're fixing people, you you know, along the way and, and teaching them that their outlook can be different and it matters and the outcomes, you know, sometimes that has to be the first step. Definitely. When we notice that though, Nikki, it's like, okay, we've got to take five steps back before we can, we can move forward.
0: I think you're pretty familiar with this. There are actually scientifically 14 different drivers to engage a human being in their work. And one of those is trust. So I would love to just break down for a second to make sure that our listeners know, you know, what are some of those keys that if that is one of the areas, maybe you went through an engagement diagnostic and you found that trust is really broken on certain teams, just not there. What what are the first steps to being able to build that? Any tips?
1: It really depends on where the barometer is of what, what they're starting at, was their starting point, and what were some of the histories that got them there. Uh, typically, in those situations, we've got to get the executive team together and you know identify what their st- current strategies are, how are they developing trust with one another, and ultimately, it comes down to being willing to show your cards early and often, meaning, hey, when there's tough information, when things could potentially be ch- changing, the faster you can get that information to your teams and and kind of share it with everybody, that's definitely one of those things that increases trust at a faster pace. There's a great book that I'm sure a lot of your listeners have read, which is called The Trusted Advisor, and it gives a trust equation. This is look at this is how we're really measuring trust with one another. We are judging one another based on our credibility, like how good are you at what you do? Do you know your stuff? Have you been in the industry for a long time? We're also using uh, reliability as a measurement, and so do you do what you say you're going to do? Are you the type of leader or employee that says, you know, I, I'm going to meet this deadline and you consistently do it. Do you have the habit of, of under-promising and over-delivering? And then the other piece of this equation is intimacy. And intimacy, I love to watch people's faces when we, when we mention that in a crowd and you can just see how uncomfortable it makes people. But intimacy is you know, that showing your cards, being really open, honest, authentic, and I'll even use the word vulnerable. It doesn't mean weak. It means that you're willing to say, Hey, look at, I might need some help with this. And I don't have all of the answers. That's a great way to develop trust. All of those things though, in this equation are divided by a very important factor, which is our self-orientation. So the more we make it about us and our agenda and what's in it for our best interest, the more that trust score goes down. And so when we're working with these leaders, it's really how do you put ego aside so that you can show up differently for your team and therefore develop trust. People do work harder for people they like, know, and trust, and they are more highly engaged as you know, you've know. you been able to see from, from results. and uh, And obviously you get the results you ultimately want because people really enjoy what it is that they're doing.
0: And I just heard a theme that continues to come up on this show as we're really geared towards empowering and helping CEOs and presidents that get stuck. Um, The the theme is vulnerability. And I think you were just illustrating, I mean, that is a huge key to trust and really building a relationship where people want to follow you and walk through fire behind you. It's because you're a real human and you break down those walls and and become human to human. So I, I love that you're continuing to reiterate that. So Amy, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the show today is performance. Like ultimate high performance is what every leader is looking for. And um just trying to figure out, you know, the tools and training and all of that, but you really have found that it's a big like mental challenge that leaders have right now. They they think that there's some truth that really isn't real. It's not the reality. And you're really here to dispel that today. So if let's just kind of start down that path. If you could encourage leaders to make a mental shift on their mindset around performance, what do you recommend and how do you start
1: that? Yeah, I think some of the myths is that you're going to hire talent and they're just instantly going to hit the ground running. And you're going to have some people that will, right? That whole nature versus nurture thing is definitely a myth when it comes to developing your people and developing high performers. Some people do have the mentality, maybe they have the background, they just have the natural, you know, kind of like go getter mentality. And some people don't naturally have that. And so, that's okay. What we do, what we end up doing is just saying, oh, they don't have what it takes. And so therefore they're not a fit for the role. Well, maybe, and maybe not, you know, training and coaching. uh, It is a very important part of continuing to develop your team. If you feel like You've got a good person who believes in the brand and, you know, they, they show up the way that you want them to give them some training and coaching that that's going to give them a chance to prove themselves of whether or not they're really going to end up being a high performer at the end of the day. So
0: good. So Amy, your company deploys many different levels of training and development. How do you align the right programs for the right teams or how do you align the correct types of training, if you will, for each specific team?
1: Yeah. So I think, yes, what we find is a really hot topic is communication skills and communication training. Um, I actually just finished uh, shooting. It's live. I think it went live today, a program called dealing with difficult people. And that's one that's really popular within organizations because some of the biggest stressors that people have, you know, when they take home, isn't necessarily the job itself. It's dealing with the stress of people in between, whether it's communicating with clients or it's prospects or it's, internal departments and giving them those type of training and skills on how to overcome it, how to be resilient, how to be a more effective communicator, that changes their engagement. So yes, I do think that everybody should have it. Now, determining what it is that they need, I think doing engagement surveys is really helpful. They're going to tell you what they need by that data or listen to the complaints. I think complaints are super powerful. There is actually a book written in the customer service world called A Complaint is a Gift that said when people are complaining it's not because they're trying to be a pain in your butt. It's because they're saying, Hey, I need something that you're not giving me and that's powerful internally as well. If you're hearing complaints from more people, do something about it. They're begging you, you know, for resources, they're begging you to refine some of these skills and so you could certainly utilize that piece of it. We're really passionate about helping companies develop a consistent language. So whether you're coming through our sales process, whether you're coming through our customer service, whether you're coming through leadership, effective communication, there's there's a consistent language woven throughout. And certainly there, there are probably other companies that do the same thing. And I think consistency in language is helpful, specifically if you end up having multiple locations, um, because the hardest thing about, you know, that is how do we keep training consistent? And how do we keep brand consistency? So looking for something that does not increase the silos, but helps break those down, we've seen a real effectiveness for organizations.
0: Okay. I've got a lot of questions coming off of this stuff. So <laughs> for a second, one is let's talk about difficult people. So that is definitely a core predictive indicator to disengagement. And a lot of times that is because of difficult managers, you know, people join organizations and the brand and they're really excited, but then they get on a team and this manager is just really hard to communicate with, or they've got somebody on the team that they just can't seem to get along with or just rub them the wrong way. And it makes it hard to even want to come to work. So where in the heck do you even start with that when it comes to dealing with difficult people, like break down some key to overcome that?
1: So um, I could not wait to write this program alongside Sandler Corporate because I feel like it's something most of us struggle with. And we're not really taught that from a young age, right? We're not in school. They're not saying, here's how you become an effective communicator. I mean, they are with some of these younger generations, but I miss that in class. And so, you know, I've been fortunate enough to learn it throughout the career. And what I've what I've recognized is step one is we have to own what our triggers are. And so the first step in learning how to deal with difficult people, is knowing what pushes your buttons. Um, So that's the first part of the course and the first part of the training is that identification. And then also understanding that other people don't know where your buttons lie. And so if they push them, it's typically accidental. And, you know, no one else owns our emotions but us. And I know that that can seem like this frou-frou soft stuff, but ultimately that's some of the greatest takeaways that we hear from organizations is, wow, just this ownership over how I'm showing up, regardless of how other people behave, is really empowering for people. And when people feel empowered you get better results. So step one is identify your triggers, understand them. Um, Step two is understanding where and why that person, you know, is sort of showing up the way that they are and learning how to not take it personally. And then we also teach and train after that situation's over what lessons can be learned so that we are not repeating the same scenarios over and over and over again. Where can we take some ownership and work proactively to make sure that we're not having this communication disruption in the future.
0: Good stuff. Okay. So to go in the other direction of the question I had around, you were talking about consistency of training and how important that is across the organization. I'd love to know how important it is to measure the impact and how do you do that when you're helping teams to develop? How do you measure and give the results and really understand which teams might need more energy and time poured into them and others that are really adopting this and
1: thriving? You know, old habits die hard. And I, another myth that we could certainly wrap into this is that if you train them once, they should get it. And that is not true. You can do, you can hire in some great speaker to inspire people and you could get great feedback from that program, but it does not mean it's going to translate into a shift in behavior internally. Just like any listeners out there who are parents, we don't parent our kids once and just say, Hey, I told you, told you that once now I'm done. And you should just know it from here on out. We are constantly in coaching and parenting mode. And the same thing goes for your employees. It should be a constant evolution. Maybe it's not the same program the entire time, but how do you continue to build on it, you know, and and continue to have coaching and training happening at all times. That's really those companies that have the good to great mentality. They are always developing their people. And as far as measurement goes, I think it's important to have a baseline when you start of what is it that you're looking to shift and what are those really important indicators. I think obviously the leading indicators are important, but you also have to pay attention to some of the lagging indicators. And then what is a good measurement over time? Maybe it's every six months. You're looking again and seeing if there's been a shift in results based on that department and, and whatever results look like for that specific organization. And then you measure again at a year and good feedback is nice. And it always feels good when we get really good feedback, but the true telling of whether or not it's working is a shift in results. So it is important to keep your eyes on that over time. And then obviously, you know, if you're doing regular um, engagement surveys, looking at a shift in engagement is really important too. We have seen companies where maybe they didn't have a great engagement, but giving them the right level of training, you know, teaching them those skills of being an effective communicator and teaching them those leadership skills, customer service skills and sales. We have seen a real shift because people, you know, they learned and they felt that the company was investing in them. It, that goes a really long way for people to that's a sense of validation for them that the company's willing to put money into you know their learning and their development.
0: Amy, we brought up earlier that trust is one of those core engagement drivers. Another one is feedback and I know just in today's world with the new generations that are in the workplace, just younger people in the workplace, feedback is needed at different levels and most leaders are struggling to figure out the right cadence and how to give feedback. I'm curious, are there any myths around feedback and any best practices that you've found that you'd recommend?
1: You know, I think a really good rule to have in mind is if you're not sure or you think you might be mind reading, ask. And it is the simplest thing is if you're not sure, really ask and just say, Hey, I want to make sure that we're doing this on the right pace for you. And because everybody has different expectations to have one blanketed approach is really, you're going to leave some people out. And so maybe ask that employee specifically and say, you know, how often would you like feedback? Do you want it in the moment? Would you rather us kind of do it? once a week and and get their idea of what is going to work for them. It doesn't mean that you have to do that a hundred percent. There's a lot of studies that show that you don't need consensus in order to reach commitment. Um, but you, people do need to be heard. So I think asking people with their own preferences and then giving them recommendations is helpful rather than thinking we're going to mind read. And again, a blanketed approach means it's going to work for maybe 60% of your people. And then you're going to have 40% that are just sitting there with their arms crossed in judgment of how you're going about things, feeling like they don't get me.
0: So my thought around um, kind of where I want to take this for a second here is around the importance Of people development to the bottom line of a business. So I'm thinking about companies that just really don't have development programs for their organization and how that's impacting the bottom line. And then on the other side, companies that do pour into development and performance optimization, how that is affecting just such a strong ROI and at the bottom line of a business. Do you have any just examples of teams you work with, whether they're sales teams or customer service teams, and then how? The training and development of these engaged teams who are adopting these things truly impact the business.
1: So there was a, a company we've worked with for several years that uh, they're they're spread across uh, you know all across the U.S. I remember specifically being hired in to work with their customer service team, and this was a B two B telephone team, right? So call center essentially. I remember showing up a few years ago and saying who in this room feels empowered in your role and to a person every single person out of 30 people no one everybody was like shaking their head no like no we don't feel empowered you know it was really a department of people who felt like they were at the mercy of every other department and they were at the mercy of their leaders and they were at the mercy of their customers and we worked together for two solid years. I would go down and work with that team a couple of times a month. And I remember two years later saying, "Hey, who in this room feels empowered in their role?" And everybody looked at me like I had three heads. And they're all like, uh, "Yeah." Every every single hand raised in that room. And I remember the leader in the back, like sort of nudging another manager, saying, "Listen, remember, remember when they all said no?" And they don't even remember that they said no. It's like we developed a new reality for them. And it was so much fun to just see this shift in perception. And, you know, the leaders didn't change And those other teams did not change and their customers didn't change. But what we taught them on how to show up changed. And so that's a great example of they gave that team what it is that they needed and they gave them consistent training and they invested a lot of money. But now that team, that customer service team that used to just be order takers, and used to really just run around putting out fires are now working proactively. They're making outbound calls. They are reaching sales goals, which you could have never spoken the word sales to them before. That was a dirty word. You know, their thought was, we're a customer service team. There is no way in this world we're going to sell. There's just this different level of ownership and excitement to help see the organization grow.
0: Oh, that's neat. And how rewarding to be able to go through that and see that end result. That's cool. So you shared earlier around um, the topic of uh, leaders being involved in the training process. It's not something where it's like, hey, we're going to sign up our people. Just let us know how we're doing. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on you know, how do executive teams and middle level managers get involved in the learning and development of their people?
1: Yeah, I think it's a must um, that you know. Another myth is like just that, hey, fix these people or like, oh, we have these low performers, and so there's this worst to first mentality that can sometimes come about. And I think it's done with the best of intentions, but without understanding that in order for real growth, you've got to train everybody. But perhaps at the level that they come in, there is an opportunity to train your high performers to continue to perform at a higher level. They love the learning. There is an opportunity to train more middle folks. That people who are like, sometimes they're killing it. Sometimes they're a little mediocre to get them to a place where they're performing consistently and to have leadership involved, not only means that they're learning the same stuff so that they can then, you know, keep them accountable internally. Once they're outside of those training walls, they're speaking the same language, um, but they're also showing, Hey, I want to learn and I want to develop. And it's so powerful to see that coming from the top rather than just sort of pointing down saying you are the problem. That is certainly a sign of what's most likely a disengaged culture. If we have leaders pointing down saying they're the problem, we can be like, oh, we're going to have to have a tough conversation, Mr. CEO, because I've got news for you. You're the problem.
0: Awesome. So many new ideas to put into action to positively impact performance today, Amy. Thank you so much. We're going to hear from our sponsor real quick, and then we're going to come back and we want to learn just a few things about you. Gut Plus Science has just joined the People Forward Network. Gut Plus Science has been on a journey for three and a half years, and we got inspired to create a global podcast network that captures the most incredible efforts of people-first leaders and humans working on a meaningful mission. We believe that the workplace is the largest mission field for change And the People Forward Network is the largest community of humans on a shared journey to live life full of meaning. We'd love for you to join the People Forward Network. There are all kinds of new shows and existing shows coming together under one umbrella to bring you the best content as a community on a mission. Can't wait for you to join us. See the link to peopleforwardnetwork.com in the show notes. All right, Amy, welcome back to the show. So we want to learn a few things about you. We call this the lightning round. So you can just give like really quick answers, one word, couple words, just to learn a few things about Amy Woodall. So first of all, what is your all-time favorite book? The Untethered Soul. Awesome. What's one fun fact about you?
1: Fun fact is, in my younger days, I used to be able to jump rope my arms. I know that that's really odd, but that was sort of like stupid. It was like the stupid human tricks. Oh, that's
0: hilarious! Yeah. (laughs) So, when you're
1: not working, what would we find you doing? Meditating. I am a big meditation nut, and actually, a fun fact: I'm becoming certified as a meditation trainer because I think it's really powerful to teach to people. Uh, and uh, hanging out with my boys. We I'm a boy mom. We're always like playing basketball, football, doing something, getting dirty with the boys. That's
0: awesome. How about you? Have a favorite vacation spot?
1: I love Aruba. It is the it's my favorite place on the planet.
0: Amy, how can our listeners reach you?
1: So they can hook up with me on LinkedIn if you want to. I put videos out pretty consistently. Um, it's, I think it's just under Amy Woodall on LinkedIn. I would love to tell you my Twitter handle, but I don't think I've been on Twitter for forever. Uh, but they can also reach me via my email, which is sandler.com.
0: Amy Woodall, you rock. Thanks so much for dispelling the myths of performance and helping us to think of outside the box on how to drive engagement and performance on our teams across our organization. Many solid takeaways. A couple things, guys, as far as truth, you can act on number one, leaders must be involved. This is not something where, Hey, I need you to develop my, t- my team and my people. Tell me how they're doing. No, as leaders, we need to engage in the development alongside of our people. Uh, number two, Trust is huge. In order to have a team that is going to gel and absorb and take on and engage around the training and development that we're bringing to them in order to be these high performers, trust has to be established. So if trust isn't there, it, none of this stuff is ever going to stick. And the very first key to building trust is bringing vulnerability as a leader to the team. Um, it's really good. And I think just something that we've definitely reiterated on this show dealing with difficult people. So all of us have this for sure. Uh, I think what Amy shared that are so key is we have to understand as, as an individual, what pushes our buttons, like what our triggers are and be aware of those, because it could be so much of us that's bringing this difficult people dynamic to the table. We've got to be aware of our own stuff. And the number two is we need to Draw a line and not take others' actions or comments personally. We need to figure out what's inside us that's causing this to be such a challenge. And then, number four, is we can't think that just because uh, the past, this person in the past was a certain way when it comes to their performance, predicts the future. There is so much opportunity for someone to change and develop and grow. And we've got to shift our mindset to believe that people aren't just what they were from the past. There's so many opportunities for them to become and shift and grow as a person and to be able to perform at new levels. So that's it. That's this week on Gut Plus Science. Thanks again, Amy. It was a wonderful show. We'll see you next week, guys.